0: This is Podkit, episode number 17, Life with Tuples, on Tuesday, January 12th, 2016. And now, it would be fun to be in the modern world. This episode of Podkit is hosted by Brandon Johnson, that's me, Brian Mitchell, and Ryan Rampersad. This episode is show notes at thenexus.tv slash pk17. Yes, well, welcome to the 17th episode of the
1: Podkit. How are all of you doing? Doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. well how about you guys? I, I'm fairly well. Yeah, doing well myself. We are all well guys. You know, but you know what's not well? We Our internet well, might not be too well. So if during this episode you hear us completely drop out or something like that, well, you know what happened. <laughs> it's probably that, yep. And in addition to that issue, my mixer has decided to inject some subtle noise into our lines, so I can't fix it right now, but hopefully by episode 29, you won't hear it.
2: That's a good goal. It, yes. gives, it gives us some time to figure it all out.
1: Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking.
2: Yep, you betcha. So, what's in your bash profile? T- uh, t- what is it? T shell profile?
1: Well, I
2: don't C-shell. use I, I use zsh. Zs,
1: wait, Z, that's what I was trying
2: to think of. Oh, uh, but that's probably ZSH. Maybe that's does Brian, then. Does Brian sell seashells by the
0: seashore? <laughs> I don't know. It's possible. Well, but I, I use zshell also, like Ryan.
1: Now I only use that on the Mac. On on the uh, Linux servers that I run, which are all over the place, of course, I I use the Bash because I don't want to install more things. Although I do miss my nice ZSH cool stuff whenever I'm over there.
0: See, I've taken the exact opposite approach to Ryan, and I install Z shell everywhere I go because, uh, because consistency trumps any sort of logical thing in my brain about using the thing that's already there for me. May as well, you know, if I have a VPS, if I'm paying five bucks a month for it, it may as well. Uh, look exactly like everything else just slightly different um, because um, be- for reasons I'll talk to you guys about in just a couple minutes um, so I do use Z shell everywhere and my Z shell profile is automatically generated by oh my Z shell which is a thing that a person named Robbie Russell made uh, to make customizing Z shell a little bit easier do
2: you use that Ryan? I don't think so I think I have heard of that. Which is pretty good for not using it. Totally, <laughs> It's it's pretty
0: slick. Uh, one of the things that it's really good for is using themes, uh, and I actually have a custom theme that I built, and by built I mean stole from one of the uh, MIT licensed ones that are on GitHub. Uh, I think the original one is called like N, but I added uh, I added a letter to it, and I call it No <laughs> No. Wow. That was a theme. That's creative. Um, very yeah, that's it well, you now. Yeah. So let's see. I think
1: I found a link for it right here. Okay, I, I, I corrected my stance on that when I said I don't think so. The answer is I totally do. I just didn't recognize the person's name.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. No worries. Well, it's, it's pretty slick. One of the things that I like about my slightly different version is that in place of something that I found totally useless in the in the original theme, um, I started putting the, the vendor name in, uh, in the prompt. So I can tell whether I'm on an Ubuntu box, a Red Hat box, an Apple box, or a Debian box. However, the mm-hmm. thing that's kind of frustrating is that the Debian box actually says, uh, it lists itself as PC as the vendor. So if you, if you do like echo vendor, it, or, you know, dollar vendor, it will, um, It'll it'll say PC and it won't say it won't say Debian. That kind of made me sad, but whatever.
1: So sad.
0: Yeah, uh, my but theme. Else,
1: I'm not. Says, I don't know uh, what theme. Is there an I'll easy see. way to tell what theme you run?
0: Yeah, uh, if you echo uh, echo dollars zsh underscore theme.
1: Okay, I guess I'm running the default theme then. Nice. There you go. I like defaults. Very pleased with them. Yeah.
2: So I'm all boring, apparently, and I run Bash, but I just recently updated to ba- Bash 4 via Homebrew. So that was kind of cool. I don't run a theme, but I have a theme terminal uh, for OS X terminal. Right. Theme kind of thing I use, which is nice. So that works together well with what I have set up. However, it makes SSHing quite horrible because I have some color things I changed inside of Bash that make SSHing look kind of bad so that's the thing i need to work on at some point yeah
0: nice
1: so what other things do you have in your Mm. in your rc file or profile file
2: i add user local bin to my path i turn on cli color uh color i do some ls colors so Color is always fun, and then I have <laughs> uh, grep. Always use colors, and then I export some color modifications. No, wait, that's not it. I changed the login prompt so instead of whatever OS ten default is, it says uh, bracket uh, username at hostname space, and then in yellow the path um, from user home user home folder, I believe. Nice, or at least that's used tilde when it's in my home folder, and then. Another bracket and then dollar sign and then everything after there is what I type, and then I alias ll to be ls-lah, because that's a nice handy command. Yeah, that is nice. And then Hiroko bin and then I use another, uh, uh another thing I need to eval. Nice, oh, nice. I see in uh, yeah, your. So you, you have your host name Brennan. Yep. Before. Okay. Nice. Oh uh, what's what's what do you use to, to get the name? I just tried on OS X, ten. Dollar Veco and or wow. That was a mix of vendor and echo became Veco. Mm-hmm. So the, the thing that I think is
0: um let me see if I can pull up file in particular here. Right, so I get the current directory with print working directory, yada yada. Mm-hmm. Um, I get host with echo host. Um, I get the user at machine in directory sort of thing with uh. So box name is is what what host is stored in. Um, what 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 else is missing? User is just uh dollar user but huh that's a good question I think it's it should all be in that no zs no ZSH. theme that I put in the show notes
1: okay
0: I forgot the question I managed to talk my way out of remembering what the question was <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I kind of ran into the same thing also so I think what I've used
2: is a, a bash ps1 generator that's what I used right. to generate mine and that was pretty nice uh, I don't know which one I used, but I just Googled it or DuckDuckGoed it, and it was the first one. Nice. Yeah, so that's kind of nice. Totally. Maybe it's Bash RC Generator because it looks like a drag and drop, and I feel like that's what I used. Sure enough,
0: yeah, yeah. that
2: looks awesome.
1: You might have heard of Twitter just go off. That happened. I did not hear a Twitter go off. In in my ZSHRC file, I have countless exports to PATH, like 20 of them, for various things. Um, I have uh, Java tools for various Android versions in my PATH that also sometimes causes confusion. I have various Scala paths, because I was learning Scala at one point and quit when I found out that it isn't for me. (laughs) Um, I have Hugo, the blogging, the, it's kind of like Jekyll, you know, the thing that, uh, generates static files. Uh, let's see, what else do I have? I have Go, I have Rust, I have multiple versions of PHP, Path Exports, and, um, so there's the, there's, those are those things. And then in my alias folder, or file, I guess, uh, I have nothing, and that's because (laughs) I took it all out and put it into its own place, which is .zsh functions, and those are quite different. Instead, I have all of my I guess guess you would call them SSH shortcuts, but um, as you know, I have a static IP address nowhere in my life except on my public server up on Linode and I have my little dynamic DNS generator from my home server ping my real server every few minutes to update that IP address for a uh, a name redirect maybe I'm not sure what what letter but um, I basically have all these little bash like scripts run in the CSH thing and I can type in for example SSHL when I'm at home and that will connect me just to my local server if I type in SSH Grail, which is my remote server's name, it will query the server for its actual IP address and then SSH to it. Oh, if nice. if I do SSH home, it will SSH to my home server when I'm outside of the house. So those things are really cool. Yeah, Definitely. good shortcuts.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I think the only the only exports I really have, I, I don't think I have any exports on this computer, but on my Mac, I remember setting up rather recently a couple of shortcuts, and they're really silly. Um, the first one I can think of is RSpec C. So RSpec being the testing framework for Ruby. Uh, I use it in a couple of Rails applications for work. And RSpec C is just an alias that uh, automatically calls the you know, basically the pretty printing flag and gives me fancy colors. Most other testing suites I've used, like Cucumber, for example. Uh, well, cu- so Cucumber is different because Cucumber is is different. Cucumber is more of a way of gluing uh, like business processy language to your functional test. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Have you have you guys worked with that at all yet? Or have I told you guys about it before? I think I've used it.
2: Cucumber for. One class last spring, there are some right, tests written right. in, in cucumber. Yeah.
1: I don't, I don't write tests. I don't <laughs> write
2: them. I use them.
1: <laughs> I live I'm on the edge. <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: I, I just that like my, my tap, my talk, my lightning talk uh, last week was pretty heavily focused on cucumber. I'm a huge fan of it. I think it makes writing functional tests really easy, especially just based on the work that I do. It seems like the test scripts are basically already written. You just need to get something some machine to do it for you but the the goal of all that stuff i just said is to illustrate that basically every other testing framework you have used whether it's mocha whether it's QUnit, output stuff in a really nice um pretty printing way by default right it includes the nice little shell colors and all that stuff but for some reason rspec doesn't so for that reason i added rspec c <laughs> But that's literally like the only shell alias I can remember adding. Maybe I did a couple for Docker back in the day, but ever since then I just started typing Docker.
1: Every so often on a computer or a VM I'm using, I will try adding all those popular Git shortcuts, Git aliases, and I never can remember them. So I always just end up using the regular long form.
0: Right. So much for that. That's right. Somebody did send me at one point, like Dan Manson. He's, uh, he works at Olson, uh, a digital marketing firm in Minneapolis. Um, he's also one of the organizers of JavaScript Minnesota. He's a very cool person. Um, he had this uh, Git shortcut that's like G-L-O-G, Git log, uh, for, for Git log. Mm-hmm. But it did a really awesome, again, like kind of pretty printing yeah. version. And it shows it all kind of like in a tree mode, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Oh. In fact, I wonder if I have it here. I might, I might, and I might not. Nope, don't have it. Womp, womp. Oh no, I do have it. I just, I'm not in the Git repository right now. Let me just look at that. Oh, I don't know if I can screenshot on this computer though. Oopsies. Yeah, I did. Look at that. Learning all sorts of things. <laughs>
2: remembered I had a, a GitHub guest I just added to the the show notes, so people can see my.
1: You know, for a second uh, there, I thought you shared all your like public and private keys. Like, whoa. <laughs> I don't
2: think there's anything there. No, it's it's my uh, edited terminal theme for OS ten and my Vimrc and my Bash profile.
1: Very nice. So yeah,
2: it's got all the good stuff.
1: Yeah, you need more exports, man. Gotta export way more.
2: You should... Oh, this isn't a repository. I was gonna say you should pull request it.
1: Well, I mean... You'd I also think you can, can comment, like... comment, can't you? It's. on un... uh, Can you? I don't know. Yeah, yeah you can I'd comment down me. below. Well, I mean, you also need to have all the associated binaries in the back, but yeah,
2: there's that. Nah, those don't matter.
1: Nah, that's fine. Just reinstall it every time you run the command.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly.
1: Well, okay. What else do we have here?
0: Uh, so for one thing, uh, Ian Murdoch, uh, he was the founder of Debian and, uh, kind of the, the, uh, benevolent, uh, what do they say? Benevolent dictator of Debian for, uh, for some time, uh, looks like, uh, he died rather suddenly, uh, over the last weekend, really just kind of a super sad situation. Um, but uh, he had a huge impact on, I think, uh, the work that all of us do mm-hmm. uh, here. So I encourage you to, dear listener, go do some reading about this person if you haven't heard of him. Uh, he's really cool. He did a lot of things for the profession uh, and a lot of things to encourage people to make the tech world a better place. It definitely seems like, you know, th- there are a lot of people in our field, people like Linus, who are kind of divisive. Uh, or otherwise, kind of like shouty people, and it doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't really feel like Ian was one of those people. Or even if, you know, another shouty person might be like um, the the new guy, what's his name? The GNU guy who's gonna punch me because I said new instead of GNU. R M S. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah Stallman. Okay, right, like like shouty people like that. Ian wasn't one of those people, or at least he didn't seem like that. Um, he did lots of lots of really awesome positive things with Debbie and later open Solaris and Docker. Um, so yeah, sad hmm. stuff.
1: Yeah. Uh, from what I've read on the Reddit and elsewhere, nobody really knows what exactly happened. It's sort of, uh, as you mentioned, mysterious.
2: Yeah. I remember seeing something on Reddit, the, with some mysterious tweets the day before he yeah. broke that he had died. So
0: Definitely, definitely. It's just really sad, and yeah, weird. Sad story. But, um, you know, this, this guy has had quite an impressive resume. I mean, after after Debian, uh, he worked with Sun and basically created the Open Solaris project. Um, and then after that, he worked with a company that's kind of near and dear to my heart, Exact Target, because uh, Exact Target, for the, for those of you who haven't seen my numerous tweets is a mass email system uh that's in use at the u right now that i that i use quite frequently at work um and then after that he moved to docker which of course is another of my favorite companies so this dude is like all over the things that i use on a daily basis uh and if you've touched a linux server in the past however long linux has been around you've probably used something that he's used or that that he wrote Mm -hmm. um or that he was in some way shape or form involved with so it's pretty. Yeah, pretty sad stuff. Anyhow, there's other stuff that's going on in the world that's not quite as sad too, including but not limited to something that I'm not familiar with that's in the show notes.
1: Now, <laughs> I don't remember who put this here. Did I put this here? So it it was, wasn't me. Okay, so then I guess it must have <laughs> been me, but it I don't remember not. doing it either. Um, this is what happens when we have show, show notes that are carried over week to week, right? Uh so I guess I put this Search Engine Watch article about uh good and bad and ugly web design trends for 2016, which mm. is apparently a way to say this is what we saw in fifteen, this is probably what you'll see after. Uh so briefly we can go through here. Um they talk about how all the pages for landing pages look the same. You know, it's some some kind of muted background with some big white text on the top. Uh let's see what else do we have. We have patterns, not pages. So it, you 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 see the same kind of buttons every single place and all of this UI looks the same all over the place and nothing really looks unique anymore. Uh we have Disney grade animation, which is apparently uh what they're calling motion. Uh all these th- things animate and move all around the page. Yep. Um, The one I like the best, of course, is uh, the carryover from the original Verge, which turned into Bloomberg Politics and Bloomberg Business, or just Bloomberg. And that's when Topolsky took over and made the best design ever. And they call it super-saturated websites. And, man, (laughs) that, uh, that Bloomberg website sure looks good.
0: It does, doesn't it?
1: Oh, man, I just... Man, if I was a designer right now copying something for the Nexus, oh, uh, hmm, I don't know what any kind of inspiration <laughs> I'd be pulling from that. Yeah, uh, I have
0: we... to admit, like the the Bloomberg web folks seem to be really rocking it, and they have been for ages. Like their content is just a joy to consume. Yes. on the on the Apple News or on the web, it's just like darn good.
1: And then of course we have the blurred background, which I am guilty of doing. Uh, <laughs> we have the. Uh, Facebook endorsed subtle loading pages or subtle loading states. That's it's kind of a cool feature. I don't know if you guys have seen it too often, but uh, I've seen yeah. it on the Facebook where they'll display b- a blank avatar square and a blank name spot, date spot, and then some blank paragraph spots. And it's actually really a, a really cool effect.
2: Yeah, I feel like I yeah I've seen that. It's a good easing in of not just subtle loading, but a-
1: Okay. And I don't know how they do it exactly. It's probably, you know, some kind of React magic. So, like, they fetch all the pieces discreetly and then they join it up on the client side. But it's a really right. neat idea. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what they mean by it, but they're calling it the uh, Mullet website. Uh, yeah. Uh, preloaders are all the rage now because apparently loading five megabytes of CSS and JavaScript is um, your idea of a good time in 2016 <laughs> uh, scroll hijacking scroll jacking uh, uh, that is the worst isn't it
2: the worst yep
0: oh my gosh I have to find that reminds me there's this really awesome uh, and by awesome I mean horrible uh, apartment complex in Town that has this gloriously scroll jacked website I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll mute my microphone <laughs> and look for it okay and you guys can keep talking about it
1: so let's see uh, we have passive aggressive pop-ups and that's when these pop-ups will pop up but not immediately when you get to the page they'll pop up midway down so you're you're at three paragraphs in you have to scroll for the first time and suddenly do you want to join our email list yes or no
2: uh, yeah that's like it's like a delayed ad yeah after they know you're there long enough that you're committed so now right. they can force this on you yeah
1: well they, and they know that they that you want to finish the rest of the article so you have to interact with it
2: yeah and yeah exactly yeah exactly or it's it's like the on some sites i haven't seen it too much lately where you have to you know oh i guess i've seen you continue reading after two paragraphs yeah but sometimes they say oh but you have to pay or log in or something and mm-hmm. you
1: just Uh, we also have the so long hamburger section, which is the trend of removing hamburger buttons from not only websites but but also apps. Now I don't really see hamburger buttons on the web ever, except when I'm on mobile. So I guess that's a fine thing there, but I guess the trend now in, in most, uh, Android apps anyway, is to get rid of the hamburger, which is terrible because I love that thing.
2: I think it's a pretty horrible user interface.
1: I'm not saying that it's overall. I, I think it's, it's good. Great. Interface uh, is okay. I think it's good for a lot of things. So uh, YouTube used to uh, have... So they're, they're showing the YouTube app here. Yeah. And previously in the hamburger button, you would just swipe from the left to the right, and you could see all of the places you subscribe to who have updated recently in, in that you know recent order. And it was super quick to get to a sub. Really great. But now to get to a sub... You have to click the middle button on the topsicle, and then click in a uh, like a little arrow off to the side to get to your list of subs in recent order. And mm. it's it's a it's a it's a suckier way to do it, even if it's more exposed to the user.
2: Yeah, you could. Yeah, because with the hamburger, you are you have a lot more of space, I guess, because you just yeah. pop it on a list and scroll to
1: your heart's content. I would say that yes.
0: Yeah, I have to admit, I am. Uh, uh, I'm satisfied to to walk both sides of this debate. I'm not a huge fan of the hamburger. I it's a big reason why I'm not a huge fan of Chrome because I really despise having all of my menus on, like hidden underneath one click. It feels like it's one more click to that removes me from the things that I need to do. But I. I understand why it exists, but and, and I use it quite frequently in other things, but it's just like
1: so is there a, a comparable thing in iOS to a hamburger? Is that is that a design thing in iOS?
0: You know, I, I have to I have to say that the best thing I can think of is the iOS share button. Okay. Right? Uh so it's it's not so much like a more indicator, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Um but I, it I opens like a little pane at the bottom, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It, but I,
1: it,
2: it pulls up. You can it, but sharing has changed so much since I feel like just iOS seven with because with the yeah. extensions, you know, it was just okay. Share, post to Facebook, post to Twitter, send an email. But now it's yeah. Open in Dropbox. So you can copy it there. Open in Google Drive, um, and then underneath there's like your extensions. So uh, yeah. open URL in a non-browser. Uh, Like in a content free app or something like
0: that. (laughs) Yeah. Or I I use it a lot for like workflows, right? So the workflow app, which is really awesome. Uh, You know, if I want to plop something into pocket or if I want to plop something into Evernote, or if I want to plop something and run it through like a, some sort of a, a parser, right. And save it to like the biggest thing. Oh my gosh, I can print stuff to my printer because of workflow. Right. Um, and that's, it's it's like a weird definition of sharing, but sharing in the sense of like get this thing out of this app and into another thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I see it kind of as like the iOS like replacement for the hamburger icon.
1: I mean, yeah. I guess it's similar, but even even the even the Android sharing button is similar to that. It'll open up a, a pane where you can click an app to go and share to. Huh. I mean, I guess I, I guess the hamburger for me is a, a, a great way to put in functionality and other places in your app or website that you don't necessarily have to be greeted with.
2: Yeah. But I think it, it also takes away from core things. It just people, you know, people uh, developers can, you know, if it's hard to make a decision about whether to keep or lose something from the main, so just add it all to the hamburger. And I feel like it It pulls away from a focus on the app other than just the very initial thing that you're doing. It might make it look cleaner, but then you're just hiding away in the corner.
1: I don't know. I mean, mean, sometimes you just can't have uh, all of these terrible things that are useful, but out in the open. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But then does your app do too much for what it's...
1: (laughs) Well, how many different Facebook apps can a person have? Yeah. And Google would have you... In an ideal world... Google would have you believe you could have a lot of Facebook apps. I mean, YouTube apps.
0: Yeah, right, right. I I think it's definitely a philosophical thing. And 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 if I if I were operating in a purely theoretical world, I'd probably say that I am pretty significantly anti-hamburger. But that said, I use it all the time in in day to day work. But I I I tend to veer towards a more um, as, as best I can to to categorize things, make it kind of tree based in that way instead of instead of uh kind of as brian said putting it all under the hamburger or at least i like to think i do
1: <laughs> okay so get another one here then heavy yep. pages are getting heavier so they say that in 2010 the average weight of the top one uh, one million sites was 702 kilobytes you know all assets included now they say In 2015, which is only a mere five years later, the average web page load for those same three—or I mean, the same million sites—is 2.2 megabytes. Oh Hmm. my gosh! So it's it's not quite three times as much, but it's it's at least a doubling. I'm curious
2: how does that compare when graphed to ad blocker usage?
1: Well, I am sure that. sure that a lot of that is ads uh they don't say here in their image breakdown but if we assume that any script or at least half the script is ad so in 2010 103 113 kilobytes of scripting and then in 2015 368 kilobytes of scripting so if we assume script tags load javascript yep uh i mean for ads it would say that you're probably not cutting that much down then Hmm. you know there's there's other things you could point to also like if you pointed towards like uh, the inclusion of high resolution imagery for new modern high density screens yeah that's true um if you include um previously we were only including two kilobytes worth of font data now we're including uh 114 kilobytes that's a big jump um yeah you know, HTML has been fairly static because, really, what can you add to it? CSS has, um, you know, tripled twenty-five to seventy-five KB.
0: Yep.
2: I think it also just shows the increasing use of mobile websites on smartphones and um, more powerful more powerful computers. The evolution of what ECRA script... Five. When did that come out? I don't know. Um, it's HTML five. Kind of wasn't was still coming out in two thousand ten.
1: Yeah, I mean that was what. And the so it's year? it's kind of
2: the explosion of the new modern web. I think. Like what was two thousand
1: ten? That was the first year of the iPad, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was back when Flash was still a thing, and I would I would venture that those top one million sites included a lot of Flash, but that wasn't listed here, so. Maybe Mm -hmm. it's not as bad as we all think it is.
0: That's true.
2: That's true. Yeah, other did shrink from 22 kilobytes to four.
1: Yeah, but I think Flash is heavier than 22 kilobytes. That's for sure. Okay, well, let's see. What do we got here next? Uh, According to um, that, I also posted a link to my e-voting website that I did for a final a few weeks ago. And uh, the reason I included this is because I have the blurred background.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but this also gives me the opportunity to talk a little bit about Foundation. Because we love talking about Foundation, right?
0: Yeah, Foundation is awesome.
1: So so I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I've heard also. Uh, so Foundation 6 recently came out. And one of the reasons I um, picked t- to do this website instead of letting somebody else in my group was to try using foundation six well at the time foundation six had just come out and it was quite buggy there were bugs just everywhere um whether those bugs were things like somebody mistyped the word rem and they typed in like rem with two m's and and and, and so the default width didn't work and so that's why this website is full width Hmm. Uh, so that's pretty funny um, and, and so since then there's been quite a few bug fixes uh, 6.1 and 6.11 of Foundation 6 have come out And uh, I appreciate a lot of those bug fixes um, Even though I'm not using like the flux grid And I'm not necessarily doing anything with the fancy JavaScript components nice. I, I, I do enjoy there being you know uh, a Less than a 20 day difference Between broken and now working
0: Totally that's pretty awesome.
1: So I. I uh, there it, is. Yeah, go uh, ahead.
0: There is one more thing I wanna I wanna show you guys, and that is this uh, Town oh, Rentals uh, website.
1: Where's this? Uh, wow.
0: This, yeah. Just just start scrolling. Uh, okay. That, uh, okay. Okay.
1: Okay. I'm scrolling and I'm puking. It started at first, like
2: it's kind of strange, but cool looking. Why did they
1: decide to do it this way? Just don't go too fast.
0: It's even better if you open it on mobile. Nothing happens.
1: Okay, I, I'm not. I'm, I'm not going to do that. But wow, yeah, it's it's amazing.
0: Uh, a friend and collaborator of mine uh, brought that brought that to my attention. It's pretty amazingly bad.
1: You, you know, what's even better though? What they left their cameras date stamp on.
2: You are fast to find that out. Yeah.
1: I mean, oh, oh I, I see.
2: Oh, on the photo. Oh wow! I thought you were looking exit or something. Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty. That's something. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep.
1: So I guess I guess I can say with with not too much discomfort that my website for my little class was better than this this uh, brochure page here. You don't, oh, you don't lock out
2: sixty percent of your users. <laughs> so that's good.
1: Oh man that that's not that's not the best that I've seen. Yep. You know, I guess that's one of those things you'd like, hey, can I make a Squarespace page for you?
0: Right, right. Yeah. It seems like they have a web person. If if you look at it, it seems like they definitely have somebody on their team who does web stuff, but it looks like they're just trolling them hard.
1: Oh, you know, I've, I've never heard of this. What is Muse? It's some kind of Adobe thing. Oh, really? Uh, that's what I'm reading. Uh, Adobe confidential. This is in the muse redirect.js. Muse redirect. All the information can, contained here within remains the property of Adobe. Blah 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 blah. Adobe. Huh. So maybe they use some kind of Adobe tool to make this. Now yeah, you know it's more know fun. It's, it seems um, more
2: pointed, but in their um, in their what is it? Their head tag. They have a uh, a link for. Yeah. Uh, mobile, I guess, max width of 370, which is just to the same URL, but instead of .html, or it's slash phone slash index.html. And it's just a blank page It says (laughs) scroll for more information. But it's not blank. At the
1: bottom, there's one picture.
2: (laughs) It's tiny, yeah, it makes no sense.
1: You know, I feel kind of bad dissecting a person's work on a podcast such as this, but, you know, I guess when you put your thing up on the web um anybody can go and look at it and it's not like we're not offering constructive criticism
2: if if it gets fixed and we and our they want our opinion in the future we'd be glad to give it
1: we would
0: it's just it's just amazing that they um it's, it's just amazing it's so, it's so fun that they made this though it's so like that's
2: it it's kind of fun to look at on desktop i i think cuz i don't see yeah. things like this very often
0: well, and it, it looks like professionally done. It's it's clear that whoever did this, it's it's not like the person who did this is like a bad person by any no. stretch of the means. Or it doesn't even seem like they're bad at, at what they do. It seems like they're really good at what they do. It just looks like they're having fun with whoever hired them to do it. They
1: might have just <laughs> picked the wrong way to design the page. That's all.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, that was fun. Uh, yep. Yeah, Foundation's cool. JavaScript's cool. Everybody loves all those things. Let's talk about something that's 20 years old, and it's neither of us.
2: IPv6. So this was from January 3rd, Ars R-Technica article about IPv6 celebrating its 20th birthday by reaching 10% deployment. Have you guys ever been on a connection with IPv6?
1: I think I've been at the U of M, and I'm pretty sure I've seen my IPv6 address there.
2: That's it. I feel like I've seen at the U of M, like an internal IPv6, but external V4, I don't know. I think I was I was in Amsterdam this. I think it was Amsterdam this December earlier in December, and I was at my Airbnb, and they I think had an IPv6 address, which is the first time I've ever noticed one. So that was kind of cool. Right. So uh, a couple of, a couple
0: of things of kind of immediate follow up. Uh, actually, the use IP addresses are uh, public info, uh, and we do have both. Uh, V four and V six address space. Uh, we have some allocated to us from Internet too and we have some allocated to us straight from the uh, American Registry for Internet. Uh, you know, like assigned numbers, yeah. right? Who's from that?
1: Aaron. I I know, or I can.
0: Uh, it's I think it's Aaron, A R I N. Which gets oh okay. Yeah, American Registry for Internet Numbers. Yay. Uh, but I think that's like the ICANN affiliate in the
1: US. Yeah, that's what I was thinking.
0: And I think we have a bunch of private addresses. Yeah, well, I could, I guess I could read it out or I could just give you guys a link, eh?
1: Man, look <laughs> at how much simpler the IPV6 header is compared to the IPV4 header. No, totally. Um, it's almost like that somebody figured out how to make a header in, you know, in 25 years.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Who knew?
1: So how how do you, how do you guys feel about this uh, this rollout duration here?
2: Uh, I wish I had it because that'd be kind of fun to be in the modern world.
1: <laughs> so I guess I'm I'm kind of I have mixed feelings. So I have personally written scripts that absolutely depend on an IP address being a fixed size, and when those scripts suddenly start getting forty character long, I just says it's not going to be pretty.
2: Uh huh. Yeah, I think that yeah, that's true. I I feel like there's a lot of old things that will break with V6, and that's probably why it's taking so long.
1: But on the other hand, I am not opposed to breaking things irreparably. I'm I'm okay with change. Just lay it on me. Come on, Quest. Yep. I mean, CenturyLink. Do it. Do it now. Yeah, I'm gonna be using
2: CenturyLink this spring semester as well. So I'm assuming it's no different in Morris than it is in St. Paul.
1: So my uh, my CenturyLink. Modem has on it uh, the IPv4 header, I mean, not header, uh, IP address listed, but right below it, it also has IPv6 and then it says not set.
2: Hmm. Well, at least they thought about it when they made sticker.
1: Yeah, you know, all these years ago. Yeah, I'm reckoning that,
2: you know, modem, the, as I've mentioned, the Zyxel Q100. Yep. DSL modem router that uh probably doesn't support well it probably does support V6, but maybe not. Because V6 support came out in the early two thousands. I remember I don't know, old you can go to old versions of OS ten and still see their networking tab, IV V6 options.
1: That's so funny, because I'm totally sure Windows XP nice. didn't have it.
2: Yeah.
0: I will I will admit I'm I'm on my uh my uh login page right now and I can see the the router admin page and I can see that um internally we're all IP4 but I think externally
1: well you know when I upgrade to my ubiquity network you know next year hey you yeah. know it's all going to be ipv6 in the house oh except for all those clients that can't figure that out
0: Exactly exactly mm-hmm. right I think so we're all we're we're a, we're a mac only family here except for except for my one solitary Linux computer and a couple of Raspberry Pis and internet connected TV. Uh, and
2: I think so. you are all Unixy. Yeah. Yep. That's no, what matters. Not a lick
0: of windows, not a lick of windows. That's okay. Um, but our, uh, I, I don't, so I think that that means that every, every client we have should be able to handle IPv6 just fine, but those numbers are scary. So for that reason, uh, we'll, we'll turn it on at some point, but, um, maybe prob- you know, certainly not tonight, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, when Comcast does it, it'll be really slick because, I mean, as we know, it's a real crisis that we're running out of numbers and we have to buy numbers from other people. These numbers have already been in use and all that fun stuff.
1: Yeah, you know, like when I bought my VPS for from Linode a couple years ago, yep. they gave me, you know, you just get a static IP. And I yep. remember, you know, just salivating at the thought of having a static IP from a shared host. Like, oh. <gasps> Come right? on! Oh, it'd be so good. Do it now! And totally. suddenly you just you're just given one for VPS, and I'm, I'm I assume that everybody who signs up to Linode and probably DigitalOcean and you know VPS vendors in general, you just get a static IP because otherwise, how do you do, do it really? And yeah, I yeah. just I find it to be so fascinating that they can just give people individual numbers, and yet we're running out at the same time.
0: Totally, absolutely.
1: And then on the other hand, on the other extreme. Um, you can have four quadrillion IPv6 numbers all to yourself. So, you know, you just get to pick what you want, I guess.
2: Yeah. Better start configuring VMs to use all four quadrillion.
1: <laughs> might might have
0: to do that. That sure is an awful lot of VMs, but somehow I'm, I'm kind of down for it. I'm ready for it.
1: <laughs> yep.
0: Cool. Well, there are a couple more things that I wanted to bring up here. Uh, the first one being... Uh, Intermezzo OS, which is a uh, little kind of teaching operating system, by a couple of cool people around the Twitter sphere. Uh, the first being Steve Klabnik of Twitter fame. He did a lot of the documentation for the Rust programming language, and uh, A G underscore Dubs on Twitter, Ashley Williams, who is uh, involved with a lot of positive uh, kind of uh, changes on the on the Node front. Uh, she is. The chair of, I think, the uh, the uh, committee for the Node.js project that uh, made their code of conduct, which is really cool. Uh, and she's just a really awesome Twitter follow if you don't know of her already. Uh, but anyhow, this project they're working on is a little uh, operating system kernel that's written in Rust and a little tiny bit of assembly language. Um, it's really cool because they uh, use a lot of the sort of things that we. Um, that I learned this, this semester in 2021 uh, at the University of Minnesota. Uh, but they apply it in a really cool way, right? And that's one of the things that Ryan and I have talked about, uh, Ryan, Brian, and I have all talked about at length, really about uh, our computer science education, is that it doesn't always give us the time to really like enjoy these really awesome things we're learning. Uh, you can and, listen
1: to that discussion on the last episode of Podkit
0: exactly exactly i forgot that we made that our last episode so thanks I, i don't
1: i don't remember i think i might have called this episode 18 and the last one 16 i don't know what i've done this is 17 though. this is 17 despite what i might have said earlier listen to episode 16 for our discussion on exploration of content within a field at a university
0: yeah um, that was a good discussion. So you should definitely listen to that. Uh, but the project is really cool. The book is in progress right now. Uh, but you're, write, like, you're writing multi boot headers and all this other fun stuff. That Yeah, I'm um,
1: reading through it. It's looking really cool.
0: It's really, really cool. And work is in progress on it right now. There are a bunch of things that they have kind of set up as issues in the GitHub repository. And you can go and squash them if you want to this weekend. I'm going to try and see if there's anything I can help out with because it's just like a really darn cool project. And anything that makes that sort of thing more accessible to people is pretty darn slick.
1: I was having a conversation with one of my friends who uh, took uh, software engineering and he took um, programming languages this semester. And we were discussing like, when is it okay not to intentionally make something as simple as possible? Uh, In other words, when is it okay to allow complexity and, yeah you know, he was arguing that you know, let's always strive for simple and leave the complex as an option, but i'm I, I basically took the stance that I don't want to be constrained to the simple forever. let's just make yeah. some things complicated when they need to be, and I don't think you could really make this this operating system kind of stuff any simpler without missing everything that it's about
0: definitely definitely I, I'd agree it seems like the, the the sort of simplicity that they're going for with this project is is uh, well
1: it's it's, per, per, it's accessibility maybe maybe not simplicity
0: yeah, yeah it's it's not at, at this point this the simplicity is not really about like like using uh, a small you're uh, not
1: running an operating system uh, in Python you're writing it in assembly but it's easy exactly. to follow through
0: exactly 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 the it's it's clear without necessarily uh ditching the underpinnings of what makes it what it is right you know stuff stuff like multi-boot headers like that's the same stuff that uh, you know linux and other presumably other operating systems but i'm pretty sure mostly linux uh use in order to in order to make that stuff work and they they walk you through it and they're pretty pretty detailed but um accessible way and that's pretty pretty slick.
1: I mean look at that you even get to make your own bootable ISO. I mean how cool is that
0: right? Yeah totally. And and And
1: and you know sure you're using Grub to make the boot or bootloader thing. Yeah. So what? I mean that's what people do.
0: Yep. Absolutely.
1: Yeah absolutely I think it's pretty cool. Uh, and and full disclaimer, auto run is not the file that makes your thing boot. Stop telling me that it is, Dave Putnam. (laughs) There you go. Uh, Disclaimer.
0: Too good. good. Uh, So one other thing that I wanted to mention was uh, about what's going on in the Swift ecosystem. As you all might remember, a couple episodes we spoke about how Apple open sourced the Swift programming language and a couple of ancillary tools, uh, including but not limited to the awesome Swift Package Manager, which was designed by Max Howell, the same guy who designed Homebrew. Um, and there's been a bunch of stuff that's been shifted around since then. Uh, and kind of at the center of this is, uh, a really awesome developer, uh, Erica, uh, Sedan. Sedan. Yeah. Thank you. I, I don't, I, I know I've heard her name pronounced before, but I feel like an idiot because I just realized I have not, I did not remember it or think to remember it before I decided to talk about how awesome she is. Um, she's been writing up these really awesome kind of like recaps of what's been going on uh, or what sort of proposals proposals for changes have been made uh, and kind of where the language is going, which is really cool because she's like, she's not like employed by Apple, but she is just really interested in what's going on with it. And uh, she's been like making really awesome proposals, for example, removing the uh, increment and decrement operators from the language because they're silly. Um,
2: Why are those silly? I think, wasn't was she behind the removal of a style for loop as well?
0: Right, 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 right. Perhaps that's what I'm thinking of. I don't, I don't recall if she was behind the increment decrement operators, but I know for a fact she was behind the C-style for loop removal. <sighs> uh, and it's just like really cool stuff like that, really awesome things that remove. You know, the the whole point of Swift was to move forward with the cool things about Objective C without uh, necessarily feeling constrained to the baggage of an old C-style language. Um. And she seems like one of the real awesome community figures who's been pushing that kind of change forward. And it's really interesting to watch. And the stuff she writes is just like really, really, really fantastically detailed about uh, what goes into those sorts of changes. So highly recommend uh, a couple of posts there by her and a couple of um, updated things from the Swift uh, mailing list. I'm going to add to the show notes real quickly.
1: So who, who here knows Swift in any level? I've
0: written a couple I, things, but that's about it.
2: I did the lynda.com or net tutorial in May from the summer before. <laughs> that's all the code I've written.
1: Okay, so who here can tell me what if case none comma none means? I say if, if case comma none. Uh, oh, right what, whatever this blog post listed here, the the first code section... What exactly is going on or the intent is going on?
0: Right. So it's a, it's uh it's a swift uh, case statement, right? Uh, or a switch statement, uh, depending on, depending on who you ask, uh, if, if they're a Rubyist or a, uh, that, or they hail from a C style language, um, it, it can sometimes change in the syntax. Uh let me just scroll up a little bit and I will see the thing that you're looking for. So I think that the situation right here, right, is if you are inside a switch statement, a case uh basically it's switching on a tuple. And yeah. if the tuple
1: Oh, okay. So it's okay. So it's it's switching on a tuple. Yeah. Okay. okay. That makes more sense then. Maybe. So
0: as, as, Yeah, so essentially it's defining if if it's a tuple made of Something of type none and right. none. Yep. Then, then
1: return nil. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. So I, I guess that's not so I guess I was just confused because in uh, in SML I believe it is called case, but there's some more syntax that you use. And in Rust there isn't something called case, but there's something called match which does the exact same thing.
0: Right, right. In in Bash, it's like case and ESAC, so you, yeah. you end it with ESAC. Right, of course. Bash me. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, man, I don't know. You know, there's a lot of people who don't know what a tuple is, but if I didn't have life with tuples, I don't know if I'd have life.
0: Yeah, I gotcha, I gotcha. I did find her, uh, her proposal to the Swift Evolution um, repository uh, that was removing C-style for loops. The other one, removing increment and decrement operators was uh, one from Chris Latner himself. And uh, some some other uh, follow-up includes that, yes, I have changed my uh, hip chat name back from uh, Brando Calrissian to um, LLVM Cool J. And I changed <laughs> my job title to um, to some LL Cool J lyrics, because how could you possibly not? <laughs>
1: Oh, okay. So what the, what, the, what the intention is for the removal of C-style loops is that instead of having yeah. the, uh, you know, like uh, declaration condition incrementer, you would have yep. just, uh, just kind of like a declaration and then a range. Yep, absolutely. Although there does seem to be some kind of strangeness with the range also having a less than sign in it. Oh my gosh, what does that mean? I don't know, but I don't have to know. It's okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so that's uh that means that the range is exclusive.
1: Ex- yeah, okay. Okay, if that's what that means, that is perfectly fine. But that is not clear from a person who's yeah, never it- seen this language before.
2: I think I need to learn some Swift soon.
1: Yeah, yeah, it turns out
0: Swift's range operators are pretty darn awesome. I have to admit, they are pretty amazing. I, I went to a talk on it uh at least a year and a half, possibly two years ago, about it, and I think um there's a really good post that I'm gonna try and track down. Yes, I think I found it here. So uh, that describes exactly what's going on.
1: So this is this says it's been accepted for Swift three. So what Swift are we on now?
0: Uh
2: Swift two point one, I believe.
1: Okay. So is there is there like a roadmap anywhere I could uh could,
2: uh, I think uh, that's in one of the repositories, is it's also
1: it's also sort of on the README. Yeah, in a loose way. Yeah, okay, that's cool. I'm glad you asked. I think
2: Swift through is coming up next fall. Right, right. So,
1: so how do you guys? So you know, we've kind of grown up with the language in a loose way. So how do, you, how do you feel about that, growing up with a language and watching all of this development happen before you? Do you think that's really cool? Yeah. Oh, it's
2: pretty I think awesome. it's cool. Yeah. It made, it's made me both wish I had gotten the language right at the beginning, because I still haven't.
1: Let me, let me tell you, three. you do not wish that.
2: <laughs> yeah, but then this, at the same time, yeah, I'm glad I'm not, because it's changing so much. And I think by Swift 3, it'll be a little more stable. Oh. I think that's the first version they're kind of say okay now there won't be major breaking changes
1: just minor breaking yeah. changes <laughs> well
2: i don't remember what it was i'm not sure so, it might have been in the, the talk show review with craig yeah and, and john cooper but i'm not Yeah sure that was
0: pretty cool sure that, was a, that,
1: was that was very cool. cool
2: 10 out of 10 would listen again <laughs> indeed
1: maybe even twice yeah so I'll, let me tell you. So from from when I started with Rust, um, I have this uh, thing about getting in early and then uh, leaving leaving late. And with Rust, is uh, I got in at point twelve, installed yeah. it that day, and then by the end of that week, point thirteen came out. And so I had to rewrite the war game in literally like three days because the differences were enough to, that I needed to rewrite a, you know few, not a few lines, but a few functions even. Right. And then I let it sit there for six months in old version land. And then Rust 1.0 came out, I think, in May. And then I rewrote it in June or July to meet the 1.0 standards. And uh, it turns out Rust is a language that um, is very much like C. And it doesn't compile if the compiler doesn't recognize your code anymore. Uh, it's not JavaScript, in other words. So... <laughs> I guess what I would say is it's really cool to see Swift evolving and to watch the RFCs, to watch the changes, the pro- proposals, and everything, but I think it's also really good, and I think Marco on his blog and then on this podcast have said, you know, I don't want to get too attached to Swift right now because it is just changing so much. And right, right. not only you know porting code is one thing, porting code is something you just do as a developer, but to unlearn something is even worse. Definitely. Yeah.
0: Definitely, definitely. So it
1: it won't be this Mm -hmm. week, but next week we'll talk about uh, some other things that are similar to this. So PHP is going through a renaissance right now. And likewise to these changes suggested for Swift, there's also many proposals for changes to uh, JavaScript and PHP, and so we can talk about more about this next time.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So uh, but- to conclude, we always have new Twitter followees. We're not really sure what to call them though.
0: Twitter followees. I'm down with it.
1: Okay, we're we gonna go with that. Followees. <laughs> okay.
0: Um, on the thirty first of of October, are we going to have to call it Twitter following
1: Yes, we will yes. have to do that.
0: All right, we'll make it happen. Okay, Halloween
1: episode. Ooh. Okay, <laughs> I think Brian game. has to go first because I have nothing.
2: All right, so every year about Christmas time, I see people retweeting App Santa. So it's just Santa for apps. So just discounts and deals run by the Icon Factory. Cool, cool way to get cheap app, cheaper good apps. Yeah. Next is Submarine. I read it app for iOS uh i think it's a bit better than alien blue a little more organized nice themes and and also uh julian Weiss, who uh who's the developer of submarine i thought i followed him on twitter maybe i did at one point and then i unfollowed then i'm following again i think he was a jailbreak developer back in the day maybe still currently anyway yeah those are my new followers so, so is this Always. the uh
1: <laughs> is this the reddit app you use then is that what you're saying
2: yeah, I moved over to Submarine. Well, I still have Alien Blue installed. I don't go on Reddit on my phone or iPad that much, but
1: I, guess, I bought it. I guess it I looks nice. It. Yeah,
2: I bought it, uh, what was it? The week Star Wars came out, when I was traveling without my computer. So it was a good time to Trying get out, yeah. a new Reddit app. Yeah.
1: And it's it's priced fairly reasonably, I would say. Is it, what, $3? Uh, I think it's just 99 or... cents right now.
2: Okay. Yeah. That's how much I got it for Okay, well. I Just think it's still sure. a sale or something. Yeah. Well, I, I I
1: have, I guess I won't talk about it today, but next week we could talk about all of the Reddit apps that I tried.
2: Ooh, exciting.
1: Yeah. Okay. What, what else do you have?
2: It's all for me. Brandon?
0: All right. So I've got uh, three new followees, people who I follow um, who might be kind of in- of interest to you guys. The first is... Uh, Vivi Graubard, uh, who is with the U.S. Digital Service, um, she has a lot of awesome uh, info about uh, like 18F, which is a government agency that uh, is kind of changing the way that um, the government like acquires and builds uh, digital services. Kind of like a fun little government skunkworks. Skunk and she's also got a lot of in- fun info about what USDS is doing on kind of a larger scale. Um, she's just kind of a really cool follow too, um, as far as public affairs and like uh, kind of for those, you know, kind of in the Eric mill um, Tony Webster kind of uh, vein, if, if, if I may um, all cool people, all worth a follow. Also uh, Steve Kinney, who created G- dinosaur.js, which is a, um, a JavaScript conference that's going to go on this summer in, uh, Colorado. That's I'm pretty cool. I'm totally thinking about going because it looks like there are lots of cool people who are involved, including, but not limited to Jen Schiffer, um, space, which on Twitter, which is, um, uh, you know, the, the, uh, Zigen vectors, uh, the, um, Jonathan Marvin's of the world. They're all, um, Kind of seem to be watching this it would be cool to go because it looks like it's a cool sort of sort of thing he's he's really cool uh you know as far as conference runners go he seems to be um you know interested in doing some kind of fun uh kind of fun stuff so yeah it's clear that he runs with a cool crowd and it's clear that um the uh that what comes of this is probably going to be pretty cool and pretty cool to uh to watch
1: yeah and the, then third and finally, the dinosaur kind of reminds me of those I R- o'reilly uh cover drawings
0: <laughs> right right yeah, yeah similar. the o'reilly books they're pretty darn awesome <laughs> <laughs> and then third and finally is uh carrie fisher who is generally awesome and also has been particularly fun to follow around uh the uh stuff that's been going on with star wars um her profile picture is of her pug gary who um in a recent interview was uh falling asleep, shall we say, during the interview. Nice. <laughs> with... Oh, I did see that interview.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's pretty pretty darn cool. It's uh pretty fun uh pretty fun to follow, pretty fun to uh to see kind of what's going on, especially in the uh in kind of the, the days and weeks after um after the force awakens uh, came out on video. So <laughs> there's one in particular that she retweeted. That's kind of funny. I'm going to see if I can add that to the show notes right now. Um, Luke and Leia buying a father's day card for uh, Darth Vader. So, so uh, <laughs> something else you guys might get a kick out of it.
1: Yeah, that's pretty good. yep
0: so there you go. that's about all I have to say about that.
1: Well, that sounds pretty good.
2: No, no new follows me. for you Followees? N-
1: uh no, no, not not officially
0: All right, well, I guess we yeah. should probably call it then
1: so uh, where can we find you on the internet?
0: Me well
1: me all of <laughs> you <laughs> everyone well.
0: Let's see. The first place is going to be my website, Brandon.MN, where I post things, including but not limited to uh, the new npm module I just published and um, uh, slides from my—or I guess not really slides—kind of a web outline of my uh, lightning talk at JavaScript Minnesota last month.
1: Pretty cool, uh, man. i did didn't—I wasn't there, but I heard—I heard about it.
0: Oh yeah. Oh, that's very kind of you. It—it it was fun. It was really fun folks there's a lot of new people at javascript minnesota by the uh, way it's, it's
1: growing um, i see that list every month and it's huge now
0: yeah it's ludicrous it's ludicrous which is really which is really great yeah I agree. um so if you want to see me irl in the interwebs uh or not in the interwebs in the real world um one place to catch me is at javascript minnesota every month until the end of days
2: most months oh, yes. I'm on
0: twitter <laughs> how about you brian
2: you can find me on Twitter at bman four seven eight nine or tech four seven eight nine. You get to decide which one's more applicable for what you want to talk to me about. Ooh. Uh, or my website, BrianM.me, which I actually updated last uh, like a couple days ago. My about page has more updates. So nice. that's fancy. Yeah. What about you, Ryan?
1: Well, you can find me just about everywhere, but especially on the Twitter at RandomR and of course on the Google Plus and maybe someday soon a new special place out of the static realms of blogging somewhere that I might call my blog yet again for like the 20th time exciting but in a static way no more wordpress none of that
2: (laughs) that sounds awesome hardcore html files
1: uh hardcore hugo generator things okay yep Well, this has been a great show, just like the last show we did, and uh, I hope we get to do it again soon. Yeah, until next time. Have a good one.